0: Welcome to the UK Wildlife Podcast with me, Victoria Hillman, and me, Neil Phillips. oh Neil. Are you there? Okay. And yes, we're back. So it's been four months since we last recorded an episode together. Um, it seems like it's been a very long four months. Uh, so, Neil, how are you doing?
1: Not bad, not bad. Can't complain. Well, I can, but I'm not going <laughs> to. <laughs> how are you doing?
0: Yeah, it, it's been an interesting four months, let's let's say that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but more about yeah. that in a short while.
1: And today's episode, we're going to be talking all about little owls, but we're going to have a bit of a catch up first, a bit of wildlife news, and then we'll crack on with the little owls. So we always start our episodes with recent sightings, so Vic, would you like to go first?
0: Yeah, I basically got one. I'm back home and I'm going swimming three times a week. So I pretty much see large numbers of red kites, nearly six times a week because I see them on the way there and on the way back. So that's it. That's my wildlife sighting. Um, How about you, Neil?
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, if they ever do a drinking game in this podcast, it'll be Vixie and red kites will definitely be one of the things on there. <laughs> but yes, my recent sightings, I've not been out for a couple of weeks, so I've not seen any of those. Wonderful shorted hours everyone keeps photographing and the waxwings that just started turning up as I can't drive at the moment, as some of you are aware. Long story, I'm not going to go into it here. <laughs> but I was in my garden the other day and there's a narrow alleyway between the shed and my house and as I walked down it, a sparrowhawk came directly towards me and swerved off at the last second. So that was pretty cool to see. I think we both startled each other a bit. A couple of weeks ago, my good friend Nick, Nick Lay, some of you may know his photography, really good. Top bloke. He took me to see the Bittens up at Lee Valley, which is in North London, Essex, sort of that sort of weird boundary area around the M25. And we had some brilliant views. I got some great footage, some good photos. Go check out my YouTube channel and you can see those. And back in September, a a few weeks before that, another good friend of mine, Emma, drove me all the way to Fursley Common to go and look for some raft spiders. And we saw loads of stuff there. We saw common lizards, black darters, hornet robber flies. If you go watch my YouTube video, you can uh, find out what happened. Did we see the Ralph spiders? Something rather amusing and embarrassing happened around that. But you have to go watch it to find out what it is. Or just ask me. But I think the highlight of the last few months was not far from my house. In fact, in walking distance of my house, I found hornet robber flies, which are just... Well, if you've listened to the episode with Erica in, you'll understand why that was so good. But they're just amazing insects. And it wasn't just one, by the way. It was... Loads of them, mating pairs and everything. I've never seen so many, which is quite amusing when you think how many miles I've walked around Thursday Common and driven to other sites in the country to just to see these flies. And they're all along. They were ten minutes from the house, so yeah. Also a bit embarrassing. I had looked there before, to be fair, but they'd not been there. But yeah, they seem to have a good year this year. I think Vic, you've got some podcaster news, haven't you?
0: I have, um, and. I'm going to try and cut a long story short here. Uh, So, uh, you know, our our regular listeners, you'll know I've been having these ongoing issues in that well, It turns out it's going to be something more of a long-term stroke permanent issue. So I'm actually having a bit of a change of career right now. Don't worry, I am not giving up photography. Uh, There's just a bit of a change in that I'm not going to be doing it as a full-time professional photographer anymore. I'm actually slowly transitioning over to a full-time wildlife artist. Um, And it's exciting. Uh, I'm gutted to have to kind of say goodbye to that, or what's actually been pretty much half my life doing professional wildlife photography. But, you know, exciting new chapter and lots and lots of opportunities. you know, as, as our listeners will know, I was actually at Bird Fair with my own stand this year, and thank you to everyone that did pop along, and there's been three amazing collaborations that have come from that. I'm working with a group in Colombia, a group in Mexico, uh, and what they're actually doing is they're sending me photos of their basically amphibians and reptiles for me to draw, and money from the sales of those prints will actually go directly back into the conservation of these habitats and these species and one of them is the recently rediscovered and very very rare critically endangered lynch's columbian tree frog so i feel very very privileged to have been able to draw that and i'm also going to be working with falkland's conservation as well similar kind of thing but Money from all my little needle felted penguins and polar bears and some of the other stuff uh, is going towards Falklands Conservation. So really, really excited about these collaborations. And I'm actually going to be collaborating with FrogLife in a similar way as well in that money from the sales of the drawings of UK and European amphibians and reptiles will be donated to FrogLife to help with their conservation. So a lot of real, real positives. I'm still very much getting used to the fact that you know, something that has been my job and my life for, you know, 20 years is no longer my life really. And like I said, I'm not giving up photography. I'm certainly not giving up running day events. I'm still giving talks and got loads of events booked in next year with Green Wings and the RSPB and that and some other groups, which is really exciting. But the main focus now will actually be on my artwork, which I will be sharing on Twitter, but I'll also be sharing more of it on Instagram um, under woolly wildlife so if you want to check any of it out it's there. Yeah a lot for me to take in. I've actually been away for most of the summer as well so I've been in Switzerland for two months kind of doing rehab and just getting my head around everything out there and kind of back and straight into work really and this one might shock Neil but I'm actually doing a drawing of a very special bird at the moment but not going to let on what it is you're just going to have to wait until it's finished and i share it i'm afraid so yeah that's my news bit up and down but you know we're getting there and we're finding a way forward so yeah just just big changes all around but exciting at the same time so just see where things go i guess
1: yes hard to follow that really <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've just been doing lots more filming when i've been out i think is the things If you noticed i haven't posted so much on that God awful social media thing with photos. Uh, I've just mostly been sharing videos. I've been working on my video editing and my filming technique and stuff like that. So, yeah, but yeah, nothing as earth shattering as a announcement there. Now, I think
0: I think like one of the biggest changes for me is that it's before I would just, you know, I could get up in the morning and just pat my bag and go, but now I can't, and everything has to be planned. So if I want a day out, I need to plan it, and then I need to make sure I have days off either side of it to recover so yeah it's i think it's the planning side of things more than anything and not having that choice to just pick and go um and if it's a if it's something further away i can't drive and do the photography and then drive back it's it's basically one or the other so photography kind of loses out a little bit unfortunately
1: and for those that haven't seen Vic's art, don't worry she's annoyingly good at that as well so uh yes <laughs> <laughs> I can't what I was going to say now. I was going to say something very amusing, I'm sure it was. Now we move <laughs> yeah. on to the... Oh, actually, I don't know if the, should we do the shout-outs now or news now?
0: Uh, Do the shout-out now. Yeah.
1: And we also have a shout-out to Maya Vanbrick. Some of you may remember Maya from episode 61, when we interviewed her and Ben Rumsby. Now, I'm sure many of you have probably seen on social media, because you should be following her anyway. If you're not, If you're not, go follow Maya. She celebrated turning to the grand old age of twenty one. God that makes you feel old. Oh wow <laughs> She celebrated by visiting twenty one nature reserves, like Wolfenstow, Wetlands, Allerdale, and Beyond. And she made some site reports and mini documentaries, whatever you want to call them. The aim was to raise twenty one hundred or two thousand one hundred pounds for the BTO and she smashed that target, raising £2,785. So well done, Maya. And she's also awarded the BTO Young Ornithologist of the Year. So well done, Maya.
0: Congratulations. and Yeah, good work.
1: Shall we move on to the wildlife news?
0: Yeah, I think we've got quite a bit to get through, but some Mm -hmm. of it's short and some of it not so short. And I believe, Neil, Mm -hmm. we're bringing back the good old Neil's Rant.
1: Well, it's hard not to run on this one um, after what... (sighs) Well, let's start and you'll see why. In the last episode, we mentioned the government's plans to scrap nutrient neutrality rules, which forced council planners to consider if a development will pollute nearby rivers with phosphates and other nutrients. Now, the plans were thankfully stopped by the House of Lords after they did pass through the House of Commons, but the government have vowed to try again. Now, following on from that, the State of Nature report of 2023 was released. But it went largely unnoticed in the news because it was the same day that a certain tree was chopped down on Hadrian's Wall. So all the nature news was dominated by that. But this report showed 1,500 species are now threatened with extinction across England, Scotland and Wales, and 281 in Northern Ireland. And this is blamed on habitat loss, developments, the modernisation of farming, persecution, unsustainable fishing and climate change. A quote from the RSB website says, The good news is we now know the solutions. And we know they work. What we need now is politicians to act. That's all it takes. They have it within their power to help us breathe clean air, drink clean water, swim in clean rivers, and hear the sound of birdsong in the morning. They can choose a healthy natural environment, which in turn means healthy people, a healthy economy, and healthy everything. Now, not too long after that, Theresa Kofi, the Environment Secretary, came under fire for saying the reintroduction of species is not a priority. This was after a DEFRA committee said a plan was needed for the reintroduction of native species like the European beaver. She responded to that, I have to choose to prioritise and I can assure you species reintroduction ain't one of my top priorities and therefore we've stepped back away from that. The government claimed instead to be focusing on increasing biodiversity through habitat restoration and reducing pressures from pollution. Well given the State of Nature report i just mentioned's findings with all that declining biodiversity and the fact our rivers are full of sewage, I can't say that's going very well. Now, all of this news with some other stories that I just haven't got time to cover. Perhaps unsurprisingly, after all that news, the Wildlife Trust have published a list of 10 broken promises by the government on the environment. Number one was Agriculture Environment Land Management Schemes, ELMS, and Farm Regulation, which was to replace all the EU schemes that paid farmers to look after wildlife, it has not been implemented. They haven't banned the use of horticultural peat, so peat bog's are still being destroyed. They suspect the government is failing to comply with environmental law over sewage discharges. On the 30 by 30 target which is a global target to protect 30% of the planet for nature by 2030, we're not on course and we're miles from hitting that target in the UK. The land use framework which is a food strategy to ensure we meet our net zero and biodiversity targets has not been published. Beaver reintroductions, we've made no progress and of course they've stated is not a priority. Nature Recovery Green Paper, which was a consultation on restoring nature and to halt the decline in species abundance by 2030, they've not published a response to. They haven't scoured up Green Social Prescribing, which is using nature to help mental and physical health. The Natural History GCSE, which was meant to start in September of 2025, but they haven't consulted anyone or done anything with the exam boards to progress on it, so it won't be available by them. And, of course, the Badger car, which they said would end in 2025. They've not only announced it's going to carry on, they're possibly going to expand it. And, Vic, how many of those things do you think were addressed by the Prime Minister in his King's Speech, which is the policies they plan to carry out in the next year?
0: I'm going to guess not very many. Uh, I haven't seen the King's Speech.
1: Yeah, fair enough. Well, the answer's zero. And, of course, some of you might have seen, you would not have seen this probably, Vic, Theresa Kofi has been nudged out the door and sacked so she's been described as the worst environment secretary which is quite a title when you consider her predecessors include the worst prime minister and a man that was thrown out for corruptions yeah well done Theresa kofi for that title she's been replaced by a man whose wife is a senior member of anglian water i believe it is so we can't really expect too much from him either or especially on water sewage but let's stop the bad news there because Vic, you have some great bird breeding news, don't you?
0: I do, giving me all the bird news, which is quite yeah. funny, really. But I guess it's that time of year, isn't it, that we're starting to get the reports in from mm. how birds have done this year. So let's get going. So we've got 23 merlin chicks have fledged at Ray Wind Farm in Northumberland since it started operating in 2017. Says the Northumbria Ringing Group, with five fledging in 2023. It's been a record year for breeding spoonbills at Holcomb in Norfolk, with 46 nests resulting in 90 young fledging, beating last year's record of 77 young. Hooper have bred in Leicester, with two juveniles seen being fed by their parents in July. First confirmed breeding record of Hooper in Britain since 1996, which was a pair that bred in Montgomery in Wales. Ospreys have bred in Ireland for the first time in more than 200 years. Bittens have bred at Slimbridge for the first time. That quite surprises me. I don't know why. Maybe because I live close to Somerset Levels and they've been doing really well down there. doesn't seem yeah. that far away. I think
1: it was because they've, they've not had extensive enough reed beds until recent years. and uh, okay. So it's all to do with that, I think.
0: Lastly, we've got 40 little turns of fledged at Horsley Island in Essex. The most in 17 years after they created new island habitats for them to nest on. So, you know, in amongst all the bad news, there is some good news there as well. And it shows that putting the effort in, it, it does definitely pay off,
1: doesn't it? One last bit of news. Freshwater Habitats Trust, who are an awesome charity, go check them out if you haven't, have started sampling ponds in the new forest to see if they have been contaminated by pesticides from flea treatment which contain highly toxic neonectanoid insecticides. So recent studies have shown these chemicals turning up in a lot of our rivers and sometimes at really quite toxic levels because these are very toxic chemicals and need a very small amount. And that's how they work as a flea treatment to cause problems for invertebrates. In fact, we're not 100% sure what the effect is on a lot of them. These are the same sort of pesticides that have been blamed for killing bees in recent years. So in a recent study, these chemicals were found in many of the UK's rivers. And they're now banned from being used for anything but flea treatments for dogs and cats. So with the amount of rare freshwater species that are found in ponds in the new forest, it's important to see if this is a real threat to them and are they actually being contaminated. Because obviously people let their dogs go swimming in the ponds. It could be washing off if they have just had a recent flea treatment. That's enough news. I think we've got loads of news stories we can cover, but we're covering them in later episodes. So let's get on to the topic of the episode, which is little owls. The little owl is our smallest species of owl, only about 20cm long, and typically weighs around 189g, with the heaviest ever recorded, only 224g, and described by a BTO as about the same size as a song thrush, but chunkier in appearance. They are grey-brown in colour, with small white patches or spots on them, and the underside is paler, with white and darker spots. They have large yellow eyes and dark pupils which when combined with their pal downward-pointing eyebrows makes them always look a bit grumpy. That's a very scientific opinion there by the way from me. Interestingly, my friend Phil pointed out to me when watching them one time that they have dark markings on the back of their head, which looks a little bit like eyes and their eyebrows. And I've not seen this mentioned anywhere else, but it does almost look like they're looking at you when they're looking the other way. So I don't know if that's some sort of anti-predator defence, or but I couldn't find any mention of it anywhere. Their bounding flight is like that of a woodpecker or thrush, And you can mistake them for one of these at first glance. Um, May have done that a few times when I've been sat in my friend Phil's hide. And if one feels a bit alarmed, they have a habit of sort of staring at you and bobbing up and down. They're a loud bird and they can often be heard with their quack. That's a terrible impression of it. Um, And the chicks make a hissing noise like those of barn owl chicks when begging for food. And I've got a little recording of it here.
0: So habitat tends to be lowland open habitat such as farmland, parks, orchards, and for the lucky few, they're rural gardens that have a mix of good hunting habitat and old trees or other suitable nest sites. Although they're generally regarded as a species of the countryside, they can be found in Regent and Hyde Park in central London. Now, they're not actually native to the UK, having been introduced in the 1870s, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in detail later. But they can be found across England, most common in the south-east and east Anglia, less common in south-west England, and increasingly rare in much of Wales, and rare in Scotland, where they're largely confined to the lower southern border area. They're native to mainland Europe, North Africa and Asia, and their range extends as far as China.
1: Little whales were persecuted by gamekeepers and farmers in the 1930s, due to the belief they killed chicks of pheasants and other game birds, along with young chickens and other fowl. Because of this, in 1937, a study was carried out by Alice Hibbert Ware to determine what the diet of little owls really was. She examined 2,460 owl pellets, which is the parts of the prey that an owl swallowed whole and can't digest and So they regurgitate them as a pellet and also 28 stomach contents of little owls and also 28 stomach contents and the remains in 78 nests. These include samples from areas with large numbers of game birds and poultry farms and they only found two with game bird remains in and six with domestic chicken chicks in. The actual prey breakdown obviously varies throughout the year depending on the season but between 19 and 50% of their prey was mammals including wooden house mouse, field and bank foals, rats, shrews, moles and rabbits. Presumably, baby rabbits. <laughs> i only got was about. I was going to say, an like adult an adult rabbit.
0: rabbit, bigger than a little owl. Yeah,
1: they're pretty feisty things, though. Around 50% of prey were insects, such as crane flies, earwigs, ground beetles, door and dung beetles, and cockchafers. And around 8% of prey, being other invertebrates like spiders, woodlice, slugs, snails, and earthworms. And mainly between May and July, birds made up 5% of their diets, with starlings, blackbirds song and missile thrushes recorded as prey items. After all this was proven, the persecution of little owls was reduced. The amount of each invertebrate type eaten varies with their availability locally and due to their seasonal availability as well. So, for example, cockchavers can make up a very large percentage of their diet in early summer when they're on the wing. And go back to our cockchaver episode to find out more about them. There's also records of little owls eating storm petrels on scoma, And they sometimes feed on bats as well and i actually watched one sitting up on a perch and take and kill a chaffinch that was feeding on the ground so that was pretty cool to see so while they hunt in a typical owl fashion of sitting on a branch and then swooping down to catch the prey just as i saw of that chaffinch but they'll also land on the ground and pursue prey across it which is much more common behavior in their relative in america the burrowing owl which you might have seen Now they are most active at dawn and dusk and while they mostly hunt at night they are more active in daytime than most other UK owl species and they can often be seen out sunbathing on warm days as well as hunting especially when they have chicks to feed in early summer. And unusually for owls they like the rain so they can be seen coming out to hunt species like earthworms that the rain brings out and you can actually see them running across the ground trying to find them. But another interesting thing they do is in a good rainstorm they'll come out right into the open, stick their wings open, and seem to be enjoying the shower. And they have excellent hearing to help with hunting and can locate prey by sound with ninety nine percent accuracy. So they're pretty cool little predators.
0: I mean they are pretty feisty as well, aren't they? Like we said, and
1: oh they they've got attitude, Oh
0: definitely, they? definitely.
1: Of course, little owls themselves can fall victim to predation. Their predators include rats, foxes, squirrels, and of course sparrowhawks, and sadly also a natural predation in the form of cats, which sadly my friend Phil, who has little whales in his garden, lucky devil, he actually saw one of his fledglings get eaten by a cat, which is a bit sad.
0: But what about their breeding? So males will start calling and become more territorial in the winter and early spring. New pairs form in January and the male courts the female by calling and bringing her food, which has the added benefit of helping her to get into good breeding condition. They are usually monogamous and will stay together in defender territory all year round and will reuse the same nest site as long as the pair survive. Now the nest sites themselves are small cavities in places like large trees in hedgerows, walls of old buildings and of course purpose-made nest boxes. They've also been recorded nesting in haystacks, cliff faces and even a rabbit burrow. In these cavities they don't build a nest but lay their eggs in a scrape. They have one brood a year with three to four eggs laid in April or May. The eggs are incubated after the second egg is laid for around 27 to 29 days until the chicks hatch, at which point they weigh only 10 grams. Their eyes are closed and are covered in white downy feathers. The female will brood them for 14 days after this, and they take a total of 30 to 35 days to fledge. Parents will sit outside the nest, calling to the chicks to encourage them to leave the nest. Once they fledge, they hang around the nest site, and the parents continue to care for them as they learn to hunt. They can hang around the parent territory until September before they disperse, and you can often hear them calling at this time of year as the juveniles try to find their own territories, which are usually within about 2 kilometers of where they were hatched. About a third of chicks survive to breed the next year and the average lifespan is around three years with the oldest ever recorded living 13 years, 10 months and 3 days set in 2016.
1: We mentioned earlier that they're not native so I'm just going to run through a very quick version of the story of their introduction and most of this information, as I normally do when I'm looking at non-native species in the UK is from Christopher Lever's great book The Naturalised Animals of Britain and Ireland. They were first introduced in 1842 when Lord Walton transported eleven little owls to Walton Hall in Yorkshire. Five died of cold after he gave them a bath, and another broke its leg. So he released five in his grounds, but they were never seen again. So another attempt was made in the New Forest, and a pair were released at Nep Castle Estate in 1867, which is, of course, the estate that borders the Nep rewilding project, where a hundred years later white storks have been released. But unlike the storks. The little owls did not survive. There were 20 more records of little owls in the UK. Most of these were likely vagrants from mainland Europe before Lieutenant Colonel E. G. B. Mead Waldo started releasing some into Stonewall Park to control sparrows, bats and mice in 1874, releasing a total of 40 birds by 1880. They started nesting in 1879 and spread across much of Kent and into Surrey and Sussex by the first decade of the 20th century. The ornithologist Thomas Littleton Powers established a colony in Ilford Hall, Northamptonshire by regularly releasing litter owls for several years, starting with 40 in 1889, and he described the species as established in the county by 1907. Little owls quickly spread from both of these major introductions, and possibly others, and by 1910 they had also reached Oxfordshire, Lincolnshire, Staffordshire, Berkshire, and possibly Shropshire. They were a common resident in Essex by 1919. This spread continued across much of England with them breeding in Cornwall by 1923 and Yorkshire in the 1930s A continued spreading north in the 1940s. There was a slight slow in their spread in the 1930s when the gamekeepers started culling them but they seemed to spread well after this. They're non-native so there has been some concern about the harm they might be doing but it does appear they filled a vacant niche in the UK So they've not had a negative effect on any native or farm species and in fact there might be a benefit in some places by controlling rodents and insects on farms and shoots that might consider them pests.
0: So what about their current population? There are currently around 3,600 pairs of little owls in the UK and they have been in decline in recent decades with a 78% reduction between 1967 and 2020 and they are now less widespread than they once were with their range contracting by 11% in this time. Causes of decline are not known for sure in the UK, but on mainland Europe there is evidence the usual suspects of habitat destruction and farming intensification are to blame. Now the little owl's scientific name is Athene noctua, Noctua perhaps unsurprisingly means nocturnal, but the Athene genus takes its name from the Greek goddess Athena, who is goddess of wisdom among other things, and the little owl sat on her shoulder acting as her messenger and bringer of wisdom. Some have theories that this is the origin of the wise old owl. Of course, we have discussed in other owl episodes, owls have very large eyes, leaving them very little room for a brain in their skull, so we're not exactly the wisest of birds. In Yorkshire, salted little owl was believed to be a cure for gout, and the eggs were believed to cure epilepsy and madness and protect against alcoholism. Now, obviously, please don't go and start cooking little owls and eating their eggs. Um,
1: we do not endorse yeah. any health, I and mean, we will not held responsible <laughs> no, for any we, health issues as no. a result from listening to this podcast. <laughs>
0: I mean it's it's interesting though isn't it with a lot of the stuff that we talk and I know we've, we've started adding more kind of folklore and like kind of stories and traditions and stuff into the episodes now for different species and it's it's really interesting, some yeah. of the stuff we're digging up, isn't it, Yeah, there's
1: some stuff I'd never heard before. It was, it was really quite cool. And I made the connection between the genus name and Athena, but it's it's quite obvious. And the, the Romans had a similar god, but anyone that's done history of the Greeks and Romans know Roman gods are so basically just carbon copies of Greek gods. And they had a very similar god of wisdom that, <laughs> that basically was a carbon copy of Athena, from what I can see. But Little Owls, I don't know. Have you got a favourite, Alvic?
0: I don't know. I do... I do. Yeah What a UK species
1: It's a UK wildlife podcast I don't even remember that
0: oh, I do <laughs> love Yeah <laughs> um, I do oh, love the tawny yeah. owl I really do I love laying in bed Listening to the call Especially at this time of year Because we have two pairs here And we have one that Out kind of towards The front of the house And one out towards The back of the house And I love just lying there Listening to them call But I mean the little owl With its character And its attitude Is just amazing
1: Yeah and no, I was going to say Little owl will be my favourite I think
0: so I was going to say eagle owl, because the eagle owl is one of my all-time favourite owls. But uh, when we, yeah. we were actually talking about this earlier, weren't we, about actually covering that. Because I actually, for the first time in my life, heard a pair of wild eagle owls calling to each other when I was in Switzerland over the summer. It was kind of August time, and I just, I woke up and I heard these owls, and I was like, I, I knew instantly what they were. And they must have been in the trees just behind where the apartment is. And I just, I must have laid there for about half an hour to an hour, just listening to them call. And it was just absolutely amazing. Like to, I didn't see them, but to hear them, you know, wild eagle owls
1: calling was just incredible. Well, definitely be doing an episode on eagle owls. We're, we've decided that over the next couple of years, we're going to cover every, well, we decided a while ago, we're going to cover every owl species in a podcast. Cause, you know, although mm. they do sort of hog the limelight like a bit, owls, everyone loves an owl, don't they? Eagle owls i think they can take out yeah. small deer can't they they're the biggest owl species so they're pretty powerful things oh, they are huge in fact they're yeah. predators of other birds of prey aren't they so but yes that we'll save that for the actual episode when we do it we'll wrap up the little owl episode there uh, amazing species um might not be native but they're very cool but that is mostly it from us have you got any last you know requests for people to go and check things out or anything?
0: If anyone's interested in seeing kind of artwork and stuff, I mean, Twitter is my normal one. I've actually changed it now. It's Nature Art Vic. Same page, everything. I've just changed the name on it. But if you want to check out any of the artwork, if you go to Woolly Wildlife, either on Facebook or Instagram, you do need to spell it correctly, though, which is W-O-L-L-E-Y Wildlife. You can see some of the drawings and that that I've been doing. And eventually I'll be sorting out some of the stories in that and collaborations actually getting kind of all those posts sorted as well but other than that no i mean you know we, we've we been chatting about what's coming up haven't we on on mm. episodes and you know now we're kind of back into it we're got some interesting ones on seals hares ash trees another non-native occasional visitor of bird of prey
1: the now infamous dog episode <laughs> i've been promising for about two years <laughs> It is so close. When you actually finally hear the episode, if it ever happens, (laughs) I'm starting to feel like that. Basically, every time I'm (laughs) ready to go, I see another article or I find another paper and then I have to. I was ready to go a couple of months ago and then a British Wildlife, there's a brilliant magazine you should get, by the way, came out and there was a whole article on dogs and wildlife, which is exactly the topic of that episode. And I'm pleased to say I had actually covered almost everything that was in it that I wanted to cover. Um, But there's a couple other references I could put in there, and I've actually covered a couple of bits they didn't mention, so um, I'm quite pleased with that. But I've actually emailed someone who's done some research on something that's relevant to the episode, and it will come obvious when I actually finally put it out there. But other than that, let me just say now, if you're listening and we've agreed to have you on as guest, and we haven't yet, I can only apologise, lots of things have been happening, but we will be in touch soon we're gonna we've got some great guests lined up and then things happened
0: <laughs> yeah i ran away to switzerland for two months which i think didn't help
1: i was gonna do some on my own and i couldn't oh, anyway I don't want to bore from over the boring boring new life so other than to say please 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 go if you are a youtube watcher even if you're not go and check out youtube forward slash uk wildlife please subscribe go watch some of my videos i'm getting pretty close to being monetized on there now so if you can help me out there that'd be great and share the videos if you like them there's wildlife videos there's you know trips out like I said looking for the rare spider but there's also photography and there's a load of filmmaking videos coming as well so if any of that sounds interesting to you please do go check them out but I think that's it from us.
0: I think maybe we need to maybe yeah. share some of these links and I'll that show you some links as well the, so yeah. yeah don't worry yeah we'll kind of tag channels and pages and handles and stuff so a little bit easier for you to find them when this yeah. so we're out. recording
1: it on the 16th which i do believe is one day before our four year anniversary of releasing the first episode yeah thanks everyone that's listened our fourth oh, birthday
0: where did that go
1: i uh, haven't done anything to celebrate it really so uh, maybe with the next episode we'll do something but we'll see what happens thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you in the next episode yeah catch you soon Bye. bye
0: Thank you for listening to the uk wildlife podcast if you enjoyed this episode then please do subscribe and leave a review for us on apple podcast or whichever podcast service you use
1: you can follow us on twitter at uk wildlife pod or one word
0: or on instagram at uk wildlife podcast
1: and like us on our facebook page uk wildlife podcast and you can also post to the uk wildlife podcast community group
0: If you would like to share your wildlife news or sightings with us on Instagram or Twitter, then please tag us in the post and use the hashtag UKWildlifePodcast.
1: And you can now support us through our Buy Me A Coffee account, which you can find at buymeacoffee.com forward slash UKWildlifePod, where you can give us a one-off bit of support or join our membership scheme. Head there to find out more. This episode was edited by Neil Phillips The music is by Oscar Henderson. You can find him on Instagram at oscar.creates.